Hello and welcome to The Stack. Today I had the pleasure to talk with Julius Widman in the studio. He's here to tell me more about his new publishing company in Brazil, Afluente. We also have a new cool tennis publication and a successful literary magazine from New York. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Some of you might recall Julius Wiedemann here on The Stack talking about Taschen books, but now he relocated to his homeland, Brazil, to open a new publishing company of books that represent Brazilian culture, together with his business partner, William Baglioni. To tell me more about the titles, the publishing scene in the country, here is Julius with more. After living 23 years abroad, I decided to move back to Brazil. As I always joke, I'm doing the full program, like marriage, kids and, and, and everything again. But in the meantime, I also looked at the Brazilian landscape for culture and so on, which heavily depends on subsidizing, you know, whatever comes out, almost everything, I'd say. And I thought, you know, there's an opportunity to do things in Brazil. And I'm very excited to be there. Sao Paulo is a very cosmopolitan city the city that adopted me and I adopted the city as well. So I'm, I'm happy to be there and still connected to the world. That's fantastic. And I love the idea that you wanted to create, do something for Brazilian culture. So tell us about Affluente, right? This, you know, is a publisher in a way, but it's perhaps more than that, right? You're right. You're right. Yeah. So when I went back, you know, I, I started having meetings with artists and so on, going around, going to, you know, openings, exhibitions and stuff and I heard so many times that people to make a book they would sell a car to do a book so and I, and I do that as a joke but it's actually true and I thought you know it's not possible in a country that has such an incredible creative output and incredible creative professionalism from advertising to photography and, you know we have icons these days and I was just last week at the design museum in London and this is you know the the Havaianas flip-flops, for example, in this kind of dishonored window that they put like all the, the best things in the world. And I I tagged the advertising guy who built the brand, Marcelo Serpa from, from BBDO in Brazil, another icon in advertising. But when you go to the art scene and so on, it's very hard for people to get published and to get things out. And my school, which is Tashin, was always about books. And I thought, you know, I think we have an opportunity to do more than that. So creating a more streamlined production and giving voice and an opportunity for people to publish things and to create products that have a heavy cultural, let's say, um, bias, for the lack of another better word. And we're getting there. So we just we just launched. We're very happy. We have now four titles. But in mid-September, there's a big art fair in Rio called Art Rio, and we're going to launch about 20 titles. That's fantastic. Well, before you tell me the titles, is your idea, you know, to do this for the Brazilian market or you also are thinking about the international market? Because I know, you know, you're Brazilian, but you worked internationally here in London as well. What's your kind of priority or perhaps both? 
Yeah, I'm in a learning curve, you know, after being an executive for over 20 years, now I have to learn how to be the entrepreneur or have to bring it out of me. me. So uh, so the exercise is to, is to launch it in Brazil first, so as, as we did. And then after a year and a half, we definitely going to uh, go abroad. And we, because our system is a lot based on doing the products on demand. I haven't seen a brand being built on that basis. There's a lot of on-demand, you know, infrastructure around the world for people to upload stuff and they leave and so on. But there's no brand that has been built based on that. And this is the idea because it's, it's very efficient. The whole system is very efficient. We plug a lot of suppliers and we plug tools. But at the end of the day, the curation and the art direction and the direction of everything will be done by us. So far, so good. I mean, we've done a few tests that, you know, indicate that we are on the right track. But we, we're definitely going abroad. Next stop will be the UK and continental Europe as well. And, you know, I'm here in London, thankfully, to talk to some people that want to invest as well. So fingers crossed. And we have to work really hard now, but we're very positive. But it's going to be an international brand, for sure. And I feel as well, Julius, I mean, you're, you're living there now, but I think... You know, Brazil's image was always being strong, but I think it's kind of returning. There, there, there is something, I think there's been a period that perhaps Brazil is a bit forgotten, a bit had quite a terrible image in, in a ways, but I think that's changing step by step. Yeah, so, uh, and so we hope. <laughs> so, yeah, we, so know, we hope. We, we, we both, we were born there, so we, yeah. we know how hard it is to come from a country that has a lot of ups and downs. Mm. And I think that we were... It's so funny, you know, when you believe in something, then we started creating Afghan in the middle of the worst government I think we've ever had, mm. especially for the image of the country and especially to culture and especially to the understanding that we are in the 21st century, you know. So from all the problems that we've had, we, we kept moving on. And I think today what is interesting is that, you know, I, I had this opportunity the other day, I went to, to the Brazilian embassy in Berlin. And these guys, they're telling me that they can't cope with the amount of demands from the German government. They want to talk to them, they want to do exhibitions, they want to publish things, they want to, they want to do more. So everybody seems to be understanding that Brazil has moved on from that phase. And, and, and so we hope for the next elections and so on and so forth. So it's, again, I mean, it's, a, it's an unstable, still unstable country, as many parts of the world seem mm. to be these days. But of course, Brazil is a poor country with a lot of differences and so on that we have to tackle. And one of the things, one of the bases for for what we're trying to build is to give back. So... We're trying to put together a system that is, first of all, transparent for every collaborator and with much higher royalties back to them based on the net gains. And so, for example, we, we're doing, so we, we're talking about image, for example, and mm. I think what, what is fascinating is that the whole, the indigenous communities, for example, that have, that have suffered so much for, for many years. And we found this extraordinary photographer, Renata Suarez, and then... This guy has been photographing indigenous communities for about 38 years. Uh, he's photographed about 100, of, 100 communities. And we're launching our idea, our dream project now. So it's the first encyclopedia of all ethnicities 
in Brazil. It's going to take us 20 years. It's our life project and so on. But we... we it's so important, actually. Yeah. But it is. Yeah. You know, it, it's amazing that, you know, we, we know Yanomamis and we know Kayapos and so we. But when you go beyond that, we simply don't know mm. how rich these cultures are. And we, so at Art Rio, for example, then we launched another three types. So we launched one as a model, and then we will launch another three now. And we're hoping to have, by the end of next year, about 20. And there are about 200, between 270, 280 ethnicities in Brazil. It depends on where you look at the, the, the country, but, and about the same amount of languages as well. Wow. And we just know so little and to have a space for people to have access to this kind of information and to, and to think for themselves how important these things are, I think is uh, extraordinary. But, you know, I'm not doing this alone. I'm, I'm, I'm counting on the collaboration of a lot of great people that I'm kind of tipping over. And I think this is what motivated me to, to move on, especially my, my partner, William Baglioni. He's a guy that has been heavily involved in this art scene in Brazil, especially street culture and contemporary urban culture and so on. Uh, tell us about the titles. You said that there's about 20 titles that will be released in the next months. Besides this amazing book about indigenous ethnicities, I really want to read that one. Tell us about which other themes are you working on or titles? Yes, yeah, so we, we're trying to now to, to have as many subjects yeah, as yeah. possible, kind of to communicate how far the brand can go. And so we have gastronomy, for example, in Brazil. So we have a lot of seafood in Brazil. So one mm -hmm. book is going to be about that. We published in a book with an amazing chef, Janaina Rueda, who, yes. who runs now a food empire. But the way she thinks is really incredible. And she made this bar called Bar da Dona Onça and became legendary. So we published a book with her as well. So that's the gastronomy side. But then we found this extraordinary, uh, for example, tattoo artist. We have a photographer who's traveled around Brazil to shoot these folkloric festivals and so on. So that's another part of it. We have a book about Amazon. I tipped over this photographer, Leonigi Principi, and I was like, oh my God, you know, how is, how this guy doesn't have like 20 books. Mm -hmm. So Renato Suarez is another one. We have a lot of photography in the moment as well, some erotic that have to do with Brazil, but then we also have a book about drawings with an ad guy that is done over the pandemic, these beautiful portraits. So, you know, the variety is quite extraordinary. And then sometimes people look and say, but are you guys trying to do everything? It's just because we're receiving so much great material and we, we, we feel that we need to give voice to all of them. So. In order to do that, we're trying to build this efficient process, which is a challenge, but, you know, we're hoping that we, we're going to make it. How easy is to publish a book in Brazil? You're talking about the costs, you know, is it quite challenging comparing perhaps when you lived in the UK or no? What's your view on that? Yeah, I think that the challenge that we have in Brazil is that the workforce is not as trained. We have sometimes less options of materials. But I think this is where creativity comes in. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you, you look at what you can do with the resources you have. And so far, I think we found very good solutions for that. And creating a brand is not just about the quality of the product and so on. It's about what 
people perceive, what they understand of how how they've been able to to produce something that was not possible before. So sometimes, of course, we have to contain the excitement and so because people want to do everything. But I think it's a little bit more expensive there, I would say but not extraordinarily more expensive. I think it's possible to work with what we have there. And we, we're very excited because it was much better than we thought. I think this is, you know, if, if there's an answer to that, I think is in the beginning we thought, is this really problem? And we're trying to, like, you know, if we were launching a company like that in the UK, we would say like, okay, you know, we have everything available and so on, it's a question of money, getting investors, that. And it was just slightly different. You have to look around more. But we're finding really good solutions. Thank you so much, Julius. Always a pleasure seeing you. For more information, go to affluente.art. Affluente will also be present at International Art Fair, Art Rio, in Rio de Janeiro, which will take place from the 13th to the 17th of September. We head to New York now to talk with Chiara Barrow and Rebecca Panovka, Editors of The Drift, a literally title on culture and politics. Founded in the middle of the pandemic in June 2020, the title aims to feature young writers with long-form essays, short fiction and dispatches. Issue 10 is just out. And Chiara and Rebecca tell me more about the issue. But first, Rebecca explains to me what The Drift is. The Drift is a magazine of culture, politics, literature. It's interested in providing a fresh perspective and bringing in new voices who want to talk about any number of subjects from TED Talks to the state of the essay to the environment, politics, the arts. We're a home for new voices, fresh ideas, um, people on the left who want to go against the grain. The Drift is a venue for all kinds of ideas and all kinds of writers. It's also a place for literature, fiction, poetry, essays, and very short reviews. That's fantastic. Uh, And Chiara, one of the things I liked about The Drift as well is, I think there's a lot of value in the long form as well. And, And I've been seeing this trend. I think, I don't know, some people think they're quite condescending to young people say, oh, in this age, people just want to see very quick articles or perhaps that's not true i mean and i think a magazine like yours you know represents that right yeah absolutely we very much designed the magazine with that in mind responding to what we felt like was a dearth of venues for really serious ambitious long-form writing especially for younger emerging writers it's very hard to get an assignment like that if you haven't written much it's very hard to know who to pitch or hard to find an editor at a more established publication that will take a chance on you if you have a really ambitious idea. Most drift pieces are somewhere between three and 6,000 words. Some are even longer. And we think there's a real hunger for it and that we try not to underestimate our audience. We make an effort to make sure that drift pieces are accessible and that there isn't a lot of jargon or kind of academic language But at the same time, we think that readers want to be challenged and want to sink their teeth into a topic and kind of go on the journey with our writers. So it's very important to us that Drift Essays, which we work on over many months in a pretty in-depth editing process, that they provide a really 
worthwhile experience to the reader and then also to the writer who have their work really taken seriously, we hope, um, by our team of editors and then kind of have a finished product they can be really proud of and that we can be really proud to share. And Rebecca, one thing that I find very interesting when you go to your website and you say, what are you guys looking for when someone is pitching? I, lo I love the honesty there, like things that were bored, you know, and things that perhaps we're looking for. I think that actually is quite helpful for someone that, that will start pitching in, right? Yeah. So it's meant to be a bit tongue in cheek, yeah. <laughs> a bit silly. We kind of hope people don't take it too seriously. <laughs> But it does give you a sense of what we're thinking about and the kinds of pitches we don't want to get. We do really source almost all of our essays and poems and short stories from cold pitches, just emails that go to the general inbox. And so we do want to give writers who maybe haven't gotten the chance to write anything big and ambitious the chance to do that and uh, to pitch us on any subject. And so we kind of give them a sense of our tone and hope they can run with it. Chiara, I know the latest issue is issue 10, right? I mean, that's great. I mean, so the title is still here. Tell us from the, from the business side of things. I mean, how are you planning to grow the title? Do you prefer the kind of organic growth, kind of, you know, people perhaps recommending to a friend? Or tell us what's the, the business plan in your mind? This is something we're thinking a lot about right now, especially as we're in year three, entering year four of the magazine. It started in the pandemic. We were kind of making a lot of things up as we went along since we were kind of launching in a bit of an unprecedented moment. And the pandemic allowed us to devote an enormous amount of time. And at the beginning of the project, our editors were all volunteer. Everyone was pitching in and kind of wearing every hat. And we've been in the process of kind of building out the organization, stabilizing and making sure that the magazine is something that's sustainable and that, and that can last. So we are a nonprofit and the majority of our budget comes, comes from subscriptions, but we also have some grants and donations that help us keep going. And we're always in the process of just building that out. But the growth has been very organic. We launched online only, but about a year and a half in, we started printing. And since then, the growth of our print subscriptions and our bookstore sales has really been very steady. And we're now in Barnes and Nobles around the U.S. and a whole bunch of independent bookstores. International distribution is, is the next step that we're looking to take on. So we're, we're currently working on that because we do have readers around the world online. We want to get physical copies in their hands, too. So it's very important to us that we are constantly growing our audience and constantly reaching out. And I think part of that is by increasing the number of writers we have from abroad. We've always had international contributors and that of course helps to get, get the word out. Everything has been very organic. The growth that has felt very step-by-step step, and it's been important to us to go step-by-step step and make sure we're really putting the putting systems in place to allow us to keep doing it. We feel very lucky we've been able to come this far and, and really just want to be able to keep doing what we're doing and, and not grow too fast or take on too much. I think organic growth is great. I think it's the way to go. Rebecca, perhaps give us, of course, you don't need to tell all the articles, but perhaps a taster of Issue 10, of perhaps some of the topics mentioned in there. So Issue 10 was centered around a question we've been thinking about, which is what happened to the avant-garde? Where is it? Is there any avant-garde painting and music and literature and dance happening right now? Uh, and if there is, are we missing it? 
and maybe is the avant-garde itself a historically contingent idea that's no longer relevant? So we asked all of the smartest people we could think of in a variety of disciplines to contribute short dispatches on this topic, answering this question, what happened to the avant-garde? We did an interview with Kathy Parkong, the poet, memoirist, and critic that touched on this and several other questions. Then in our essay section, we've got a really long reported piece on a mining conference telling us what's going on on the inside of the mining industry. We've got an essay diagnosing the cultural effect, the, the effect of Jack Antonoff as a music producer and how he's reshaped pop in his own image. Then we've got a review of the new Bredies and Ellis book that is focused on the connections between the book and Ellis's podcast. We've got an essay on medical testimony and the idea of faking illnesses and another one on uh, RICO, which is a U.S.-based, it's a law that's used to prosecute mobsters, but also that it's expanded its reach to target people who are not part of the mob at all. And then we've got, I think, five short stories taking us everywhere from the American West to the Hong Kong democracy protests in a very kind of surreal story. And then we've got a section at the end of each issue that's sort of mini reviews, which we call mentions, uh, that deal with any number of topics, new books, new movies in these very short capsule reviews. Thank you both, Chiara and Rebecca. Issue 10 of The Drift is out now. For more, go to thedriftmag.com. And finally on the show, a very cool new tennis publication. It's called Bagel. Stay tuned to the interview in case you don't know what bagel means in the tennis world. Founded by Stuart Brunfit, also a former guest of The Stack, when he helped to relaunch The Face magazine. The title aims to capture tennis increasing diversity, influence on fashion and pop culture. Let's hear more from Stuart. This is a personal project, so it feels very different to the face, which was obviously kind of relaunching a bit of an icon, which came with all of the kind of excitement and pressures of that. But this is me and two friends who are launching a tennis magazine called Bagel, which, for those who don't know, is when you beat someone 6-0 or you lose 6-0, depending on which side of the score you are. And obviously it's the shape of the bagel, the zero shape. So we launched that the, the week of Wimbledon this year. That's fantastic. And I love the logo, I have to say. And I also looked at your website. You're selling like a sports bottle and a T-shirt. Very wise idea. So tell us, were you also involved with the design for that as well? Or perhaps your other uh, two co-editors? Yeah, well, I started off chatting to my friend Julian. We play tennis together. He's a qualified tennis coach. And we were talking about the lack of tennis magazines that excited us. So mm. there's, there's one or two for sure, but there weren't. there's not tons. And we couldn't think of any in London, in the UK. So we got together and then we ended up finding Arno, Arno Milike, who's got an agency called Atma as well. And really, I mean, a lot of the visual stuff with obviously input from me and Julian is Arno. Um, but yeah, we worked on it together for, I guess, a good six months before launch. But it's very hands-on, it's very startup-y. It's the three of us, we all have other jobs and... We're doing it as a hobby and a passion project, really. Well, but you saw that gap in the market. And one thing for sure about tennis, even for people who are not 
so into tennis. I mean, it's very much part of the popular culture. I, I would say more and more. I would say it's definitely on the growing side of things when it comes to sport. Is that what you thought before launching Bagel as well? Yeah, we started to recognise there's the changing of the guard, obviously, with mm. um, Roger Federer retiring. Nadal's announced he's retiring next year. Serena's retired. Well, she never officially retired, but she has left the game. And then, yeah, potentially Djokovic and Murray's fairly soon too. And we we had noticed a new generation of players coming through, and now there's an even newer generation of players coming through. And those players, I think, have engaged a lot more with social media and are growing profiles beyond tennis as well. So we just thought it was quite an exciting time to to cover this growth of new players. Some of the younger players are more into different sports, so basketball or F1 and this kind of thing. And I think as well, even their fashions and things are a bit more exciting than things were in the past. And we really felt like there were quite a lot of new personalities coming up in the game that we wanted to capture. Who is on the cover, actually? I love the cover. Yes, the cover is Francis Tiafoe, also known as Big Foe, who Mm. is the American number two. He was number 10 in the world when we went to print. And he had an amazing run at the US Open last year where he beat Rafael Nadal, got to the semi-finals, and he had um, all of America in his grip, basically. He had Michelle Obama came to watch him play, LeBron was tweeting him. He had this huge following and this explosion of popularity. And he's a real personality and really good fun, and we just liked his energy, really. So we thought he was a great start. The magazine, yeah. I think it's a great cover. What's the plan for Bagel? I know you said, you know, it's a little bit of a passion project, but at the same time, the magazine looks great. It's, it looks very professional. How often do you plan for the magazine to come out and, and where people can find it as well? Yes, yeah, so we're, we're biannual at the mm-hmm. moment. So we're going to come out quite a different schedule to a lot of magazines in that mm-hmm. we're going to coincide in January with the Australian Open, which is the beginning of the tennis year basically Mm. and then our second issues will come out in June between kind of the French Open and Wimbledon so we're very much on our own cycle which is nice we're not in with fashion cycles um it's it is really a tennis magazine with a sprinkling of fashion and style and product and everything in there which is what you like to write as well so I think it's important that side of things yeah we definitely wanted to capture this kind of cultural fashion style crossover with tennis you know, the plan for the future is to feature a lot of non-tennis talent. We know a lot of interesting celebrities, musicians, actors, designers, editors who love tennis, and we want to feature these people. So we're not just covering the professional game, we're covering anyone who's enthusiastic about tennis, really. So I think there'll be some surprise covers down the line, some other tennis-loving talent, basically. I love that, including yourself. So tell me, do you do play tennis? Yeah, I play Is it something you do every week? Um, not so much. I mean, I wish I played more, but mm. too busy making magazines. But um, <laughs> I mean, I played tons as a kid. I was in the Yorkshire squads. I played schools tennis, did some like tours to South Africa and America when I was a teenager. So I played loads and then did the typical thing of going to university and kind of sacking off loads of things that you've done as a kid and then regretting it. So I'm getting I got more back into it in my late twenties, thirties. But I think it's testament to how popular tennis is at the moment. In London it's so hard to get a court. Like I'd love to play more but I can't even get a court. Since the pandemic, because it was one of the few sports that you could play and one of the few social things you could do during the pandemic. So the parks ever since have been absolutely packed, which is a good 
good to see, not so good for my... Good and bad. Good so and they, bad. <laughs> they, they should build new ones as yeah, well, yeah. I think. They uh, should build new ones, yeah. That's... I mean, that could be the kind of thing we do down the line, you know, mm. campaigning for certain changes and mm. difference because we really want to be part of the modern game, the changing game, mm. rather than just the status quo. Because it did change the image. I, I remember there was a time where tennis was considered a little bit elitist even, but I mean, that's definitely not the case now, I would say. Yeah, it's changing hugely. I mean, probably the Williams sisters, the, the biggest people we've mm. got to thank for that, for changing the, the face of the game. And I mean, it's still got a long way to go, but certainly if you watch the tournaments and low down in the tournaments, there's more and more diversity, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's still a long way to go and you can still go to some of these wealthier tournaments around the world and it still feels very elitist, honestly. Mm. But we're kind of, you know, we want to cover that side of the game because that's interesting and exciting too. The, you know, these big tournaments in Monte Carlo or Queens or Wimbledon, but also we're doing very much like grassroots coverage of people playing in the parks, squads of young kids who are playing in London or New York or Paris or whatever. Thank you very much, Stuart. For more, go to bagelmagazine.com. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Jack Jewers. If you have any comments or queries, email me at fp at monaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, do subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Chris Rea, Tennis. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me.